Now, grab your Bibles, if you will, and follow as I read the text. It comes from Psalm 130. I'm not going to read the whole psalm. I'm going to read most of it, but you follow as I read from this portion of God's Word. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you, there is forgiveness that you may be feared. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits. And in his word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen for the morning. More than watchmen for the morning. The grass withers and the flower fades. But the word of our God, it endures forever. Folks, you just heard some words that I bet are familiar to you. Perhaps you didn't know where they were found but you've heard these words before, or at least a portion of them, and um, you've latched onto them, and rightly so. They rank up there with uh, some of the all-time favorites of God's people. God's people may not know exactly where they were found, but they've heard them. They've heard those words before and thought, what a thrill they bring to the soul. For instance, in verse 3, when, um, when the psalmist asks or states, if you should mark iniquities, if you would keep record of our sins, if you would track down and make a list of all the things that I have done to violate your law, then who could stand? And it's not real difficult, is it, to come up with an answer for that question? I mean, um, it's a rhetorical question, and you know what that means. It means that the, the answer to the question is implied in the very question itself. If you would keep a record of sins, who could stand? And the obvious answer is no one. None of us. Nobody could stand safely in the presence of God if God were to mark Keep a record of our sin. And then you move to verse 4, where you get that gospel conjunction, but. You know, Martin Lloyd-Jones used to say there's so much gospel in conjunctions. You get this statement in verse 3 about if, if, if you keep record of our sins, we're done. We're cooked. We're doomed. But, and at that conjunction, ladies and gentlemen, the whole message of the psalm pivots. It pivots from the, the realization that there is so much to my discredit that if you kept up with it, I could never stand before you. But, but, and there's the gospel, ladies and gentlemen, or its introduction. We're being introduced to a, to a different direction now. But with you, there is forgiveness. Wow. 
God kept a record of our sin. We're all doomed. But, and after that but comes some real glorious information. But there's forgiveness with you. But from there, ladies and gentlemen, you will notice that it says there is forgiveness. And, and then he adds to that what should be the appropriate response to the realization that I am now forgiven. You see it there in the text. It says, now that I know that I'm forgiven, I can live a life any way I want to. Now that I know I'm forgiven, I can live a life of indifference and lethargy. Now that I know I'm forgiven, I can live a life of pure license. Is that what you find in your Bibles? I don't think so. Because it says, but with you there is forgiveness so that you might be feared. Isn't that interesting? That, that once I am overcome with the sense of my own forgiveness, the right response, the gospel response, is that I fear him. But folks, the psalm doesn't stop there. The psalmist doesn't stop there. Even when I've come to understand that my forgiveness should lead to fear, there's another. That is not the soul's final feast. There's something else. There's something else in the text. It says, so now I wait. I wait for the Lord and I long for him more than the watchman does for the morning. Y you see, guys, Once I recognize there's forgiveness for, for my sin, which leads me to my fear, the thing that I then want is his presence. You know, there's several places in the Psalms where, like uh, Psalm 16, it says, in your presence is fullness of joy. Huh, how about that? And then Psalm 25, where the psalmist says, of all the things that I want, here's what I want the most. I want to dwell in your house forever. Remember all that? And isn't it intriguing, ladies and gentlemen, that the one that I fear, I long for? I long to be in the presence of the one that I fear? Because if you understood fear right, then you would, you would understand what the psalmist is saying. So, a recognition of my sin, which condemns me, I, my heart is buoyed because I am told there is forgiveness which leads to fear which gives rise to a longing a longing for his presence <laughs> that ladies and gentlemen is why we've latched hold of those verses they're glorious because we certainly don't want God keeping a record of our sin now do we but with you, there's forgiveness that you may be feared. And now I long for your presence. Now, guys, I've said all that this morning to really help us focus, I think, hopefully, on this sacrament. The Christian church has struggled over the centuries to try and explain the meaning 
of this sacrament known as the Lord's Supper. And I don't know that any of us have it fully figured out just yet. But much of the debate, much of the discussion has to do with the presence of Christ at the sacrament. All of Protestantism has united to reject the notion that Christ is physically present. That is, that that is his body and that is his blood. Physically, literally. And that when you imbibe, you have in your mouth his body and his blood. That's Rome's view. It's called transubstantiation. And that's been soundly rejected by all of Protestantism. But Protestantism has gone on to agree, at least with this much, saying that we agree upon this fact, that Jesus Christ is spiritually present. To those who, Im- who participate in this sacrament by faith, that is, as we, as we take these emblems by, uh, of his broken body and shed blood by faith, that Jesus Christ is spiritually present in the sacrament. So my brother and sister in Christ, if you, like the psalmist, know what it means to be forgiven and to watch that create fear and then long for his presence. If you, like the psalmist, long for his presence, then why don't we start here where we are being told and taught that Jesus Christ is spiritually present to all those who participate in faith. These emblems of his broken body and shed blood Grasp them again. Grasp them all over again. And embrace the message behind them that what is being represented here is the very thing on which my forgiveness is based. So, come and enjoy the presence of the Savior Himself. Let's pray together. Our Father, would you indeed be glorified in the way that your people gather around this table to remember the broken body and shed blood of the Savior that you sent. Lord Jesus, would you come and meet with your people here? Holy Spirit of God, would you enable us to grasp things that perhaps we haven't for a long time or maybe never before, but would you meet us at this table? Would you meet us here in such a way that as when we leave, we know that there has been a connection between the forgiven and the forgiver. We commit ourselves to that and do so, of course, in Jesus' name. Amen.